Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast, where we give you the tools to live life by design, not by diagnosis. I'm your host, Brooke Slick, and here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of our series on diet and MS with Anna Crum. Uh, Anna, thanks so much for coming back. Of course. I'm looking forward to hearing about all these little tidbits. You know, we discussed um, in the first part of the series, how one size fit, does not fit all for everyone with MS when it comes to diet. Um, and today we're going to talk about epigenetics. We're going to talk about neurotransmitter balance. We're going to talk about intermittent fasting and tons of other fun stuff. Um, getting down to the nitty gritty of it. And uh, I would like you to start with whichever of those topics you feel most comfortable starting with. Great. Thank you. I'm, I'm actually really excited. This is where I'm most passionate. This is where I can take some of my own life experience and help connect all of the dots as to why this might work or why this might not work. Trial and error. Okay. One of the things I noticed in the first session when I was preparing for the first session, reading through all the comments, is the drastic difference between the diets that include fat sources and then the low-fat diets. And that, to me, is a point that I wanted to address because what you might not realize if you have MS is that your myelin sheath and your brain, all of that is made of fat. So okay. In certain situations, again, this depends on the person, but it can be very detrimental for your brain if you don't have enough fat. So when I look at extremely low fat diets and somebody with low cholesterol and you have MS, I'm concerned. Okay. Saturated fats do directly impact your immune system and they activate pro-inflammatory cytokines. And so we know saturated fat in, in abundance can be inflammatory. Um, however, because there's a high content of lipids in the brain, the consumption of dietary fats for your central nervous system is vital. Um, your, like I said, your myelin membranes have a very high lipid protein ratio and everybody has an individual fatty acid balance. So that's when we're going back to look at your, let's increase your omega-3s. And you actually see in studies that your omega-3 fatty acids can protect against the demyelination process in MS. Okay. And in some studies, even polyunsaturated fatty acids, your PUFAs, have a beneficial effect on multiple sclerosis. Now, this is where it comes controversial because there are many factors in your diet that can be pro-oxidant in nature. And by pro-oxidant, that means inflammatory driven. They're not your, your antioxidants. They're pro-oxidants. And okay. lipids, your fats, are susceptible to attack by free radicals and can cause oxidation, which can be very damaging to your body. But the difference is polyunsaturated fatty acids are particularly prone to these attacks by free radicals, but only in the context of not having enough antioxidants in your body. And a free, what's, a, what's an example of a free radical? When your body is under constant attack um, from oxidative stress, it produces what's called a free radical. And these free radicals go throughout your system and they scavenge the body to seek out other electrons back, you know, to biochem. What this results in is damage to your cells and your proteins and your DNA, what drives the demyelination in multiple sclerosis as well. So we don't want free radicals. What we want are 
your antioxidants and stuff to help fight these levels of free radicals in the body. So in the context of not enough antioxidants, polyunsaturated fatty acids can form these free radicals and it can also deplete some of your other antioxidants like vitamin E. However, if you have enough antioxidants, they also have neuroprotective effects. And that's why we see other epidemiological studies that show a beneficial effect on polyunsaturated fatty acids with multiple sclerosis. So the baseline of this means that the ratio and the balance of a fatty acid profile matters. And the way that you get to know that is through individualized testing. And you can actually run somebody's fatty acid profile test and you can see what's high, what's low and compensate that way. That's why this is so much more of an individualized approach than I think people often realize. So where do people get this kind of testing? Like what do they ask for? Who do they go to? Many functional medicine doctors right now are doing this. I know a lot of integrative like myself, integrative or functional um, dietitians can do these tests as well. Sometimes it comes in a bigger type test that's looking at the entire, your entire biochemistry, or it can be just a side on panel that's going to look at your, the free fatty acids. Another component of low fat diets and why it can be detrimental is in a state of imbalance and oxidative stress or metal toxicity. You know, how much gadolinium have you had? Was your body able to successfully you know, detox and methylate it out, when you have heavy metal and it's residual and it's left in your body, you will see your cholesterol and your fat profile rise because what your body does is it stores all this extra metal in your fat and it protects it from, you know, recirculating going through your bloodstream. So it's another reason why I'm a little bit cautious um, with recommending a low fat diet for somebody with MS until I see profiles that says it's okay. It says they have a sufficient amount of, of fat because it can be very protective. So what about the controversy between vegan and animal protein diets? This is a very controversial topic, but it's also one that's very individualized. If somebody is eating a vegan diet and I'm, I'm not against it across the board, it means that their GI tract has to work harder to break down protein because it's not a readily you know, available source of protein. So you have to be careful for any nutrient deficiencies. Even more, you really have to look at somebody's total overall protein status. If somebody lacks protein, it can throw off so many functions in the body. Specifically, in the case of MS, your neurotransmitter balance have a pathogenesis, a role in the pathogenesis of MS especially when it comes to your biochemical mechanisms between your like nervous system and your immune system and even how you develop you know neurological deficits neurotransmitters are protein derived so if your body doesn't have enough protein if it's lacking protein you're going to be looking at neurotransmitter imbalance and neurotransmitter imbalance in cases of MS, usually you'll see levels of higher excitatory neurotransmitters and several of them, such as like epinephrine and norepinephrine, can be inflammatory in nature. So that's another way that you can drive inflammation in your body without even knowing it. So balancing your neurotransmitters is very important. And to me, running a panel that shows this balance or even just shows do you have adequate protein lets me know how your body is adequately functioning at a biochemical level. And if you aren't getting enough protein, then I would be expecting so much more inflammation 
Is there good protein and bad protein, or is all protein good? And if so, where should we be looking? What sources should we be going to for the right kind of protein? If you are including animal protein in your diet, grass-fed over grain-fed has been proven to have benefits. The less processed you can get, so things that aren't meats that aren't cured, they don't have added sugar, they don't have added hormones, as natural as you can go is best. But plant-based protein is not always superior to animal protein. It very much depends on your own biochemical pathways in your body and how well they're functioning. That change from person to person, I can see that change over time, even just supporting digestion. So, you know, adding digestive enzymes to help you break down protein, it's to ensure that you have adequate levels. So you mentioned digestive enzymes. What about probiotics and prebiotics? Probiotics and prebiotics both have, are starting to come on the scene as being very beneficial for autoimmune conditions, in part because they're very beneficial to your gut. So if we're going back to talk about bacterial overgrowth or dysbiosis, the way that you fix dysbiosis or you know, remove a bacterial overgrowth does involve probiotics and prebiotics. But what people misinterpret, I believe, is that probiotics are very they have something called strain sensitivity, which means based on what your microbiome is showing, you can feed specific types of bacteria. Just because you take a probiotic, it doesn't feed all of the bacteria in your body. Same with okay. the prebiotics. So knowing what types of probiotics and prebiotics are also very important. In the case of a bacterial overgrowth, it's also of equal importance to know when you should take these. If you are already in a case of SIBO, which is called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you might be very, very sensitive to certain probiotics and you might be intolerant to prebiotics. So that phase of treatment would not start with a prebiotic or probiotic approach, but it might consist of a couple weeks of herbal antibiotics, depending on somebody's sensitivity level and their levels of bacteria. So that too can be very individualized. And there is individualized testing on this as well that lets me see your microbiome. I get to see the types of bacteria. I get to see this different ratio. Um, Some bacteria are even known as autoimmune drivers. So if you have an overgrowth of certain phyla bacteria, then I'm looking for symptoms of, of an autoimmune disease, whether it's multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Bacteria has been related to a bunch of different types of autoimmune conditions. And so testing that lets me see where you are and how I can better treat this instead of you taking an over-the-counter probiotic that you don't exactly know what you're targeting. It's more, yeah, it's more individualized and, and streamlined. So it's all about individualization because every time you say about this testing or how your microbiome um, reacts to something, I instantly think to myself, but everybody's microbiome is different. And the reason why there's not a one-size-fits-all diet for everyone. As we've said before, your microbiome is such a huge driver. Your enteric nervous system with inflammation, it's a huge driver for systemic inflammation. So GI usually comes first. If we're trying to get to work underneath the diagnosis and, you know, and quell some of, some of the inflammation and stop the progression, then GI first. It really takes the um, you are what you eat idea to a whole other level. I mean, incredible, incredible. So there's other factors as well. I mean, that's true, but there's other factors that, that affect your microbiome where you even get started. You know, were you breastfed? Were you bottle fed? Were you 
a C-section birth or a vaginal birth? Were you premature? Were you, you know, what formulas were you on? Did you have antibiotics at an early age? Your microbiome is forming from day one. Sometimes a lot of the research is showing that your main flora of bacteria is more permanent by the time you're age six or seven. So if you were on antibiotics for, let's say, chronic ear infections for several years, then you are going to be lacking, likely lacking some of that, that really beneficial bacteria. And in some cases, you can have what's called an extinction where this beneficial bacteria disappears altogether because it's just in such a small population that once it dies, it's really hard to bring back. And that's why we are seeing such success with the fecal microbiota transplants and autoimmune diseases. That's interesting. What is that? Fecal microbiota transplants, they take a healthy donor that has this more diverse microbiome. Like I said, it looks at the testing. So these donors have much more variability and higher numbers of good bacteria, lower numbers of these, you know, inflammatory, dangerous, autoimmune driving type bacteria. And what happens is Studies have shown that when you switch this, so even in like mice, we've seen studies where they took the microbiome of a non-MS mouse and they took, you know, a, a mouse with EAE, which is essentially their version of MS, and you transplant them back and forth, your non-MS mouse receiving the microbiota of your MS mouse now has MS um, because it has such a strong influence on that immune response, on how how that is driving the inflammation, the systemic inflammation. So it's one part, I'm not saying it's a cure-all and it's definitely not the only aspect to consider, but it is such a huge driver in autoimmune disease that it can't be overlooked. Also on that note, um, intermittent fasting has, has proven to be very beneficial for the GI microbiome as well. So much so that there was a separate study that showed that your EAE mice, those are your MS mice, who were treated with a fecal transplantation of mice who were on intermittent fasting, it completely ameliorated the disease altogether. So again, this highlights the role of the gut microbiome on autoimmune conditions and strongly suggests the immunomodulatory benefits from intermittent fasting are in part due to the changes on the microbiome. So when you say intermittent fasting, for a human, what what would that entail? Like, what are we looking at? There are different levels of intermittent fasting that people do, um, but usually a window is like 16 and 8 hours. So you eat within an 8-hour window and you don't for a 16. I mean, that's a pretty drastic one, but even not eating for an 8-hour overnight, I would say the average is probably a 12-hour fast. But what intermittent fasting does is it increases that microbial diversity that we're talking about that can be narrowed based on a whole bunch of different factors. And so if we increase that diversity, you have that much more level of protection. So is that something that you would, if you decided you were going to do intermittent fasting, is that something that you would have to supplement with probiotics or prebiotics or some kind of something that would help to get the best benefit from doing the intermittent fasting or it would be all about eating for X amount of hours and not eating? Like, does it matter about the quality of what you're ingesting or not ingesting during that time? It always matters, the quality of the diet. But intermittent fasting by itself has, has stood alone. I would think that specifically targeting with certain probiotics and certain prebiotics, if you can tolerate them, would, would help 
expedite that process. But intermittent fasting on its own has proven to be very beneficial. I see it. I see that a lot of times on different groups, and I always think I can never do that. I can just never do that. But maybe if it was something that would actually help my my symptoms from time to time, I would consider it. That's the best part about the treatment is if we can make this so unique to you and directed to you that you start seeing the benefits, then you start realizing that you can you have more power. You can just get on this, you know, on this role of I can do this and you feel more empowered that way. So Anna, this is a portion of this episode where I would like you to answer the question that everybody has been wanting to ask. And that's the question about vitamin D. Are we getting too much? Are we not getting enough? Should we be taking it in concert with something else? And why do we care about vitamin D at all? Why is it so recommended by our neurologist? By what's the secret with vitamin D? I want it all. Let's hear it. Vitamin D is one of the most interesting vitamins. It has a role in so many different things. So I'm really excited to delve into this. Benefits range with vitamin D from like bone density to improve insulin sensitivity to mood and cognition, even cancer prevention, it's been shown. And as everybody here knows, there's a link with vitamin D deficiency in autoimmune disease, especially MS. Um, but I think what's commonly overlooked is why? Why is there a link? And that's because the other active role of vitamin D is improving your immune system. Vitamin D can help stimulate this adaptive innate immunity. And by doing so, it also works in the gut. So everything goes back to the gut and even vitamin D goes back to the gut and it improves the tight junction. So we talked about your microbiome and leaky gut and what happens when you have intestinal permeability. That mucosal integrity also is improved and bolstered by vitamin D. So vitamin D does a wide range of things. Sadly, it's one of the most common deficiencies across the board. And the question is now, so why, why are we deficient? Does it really have everything to do with the sun and where you live in conjunction with the equator? And the answer is no. Vitamin D is one of your fat-soluble vitamins. You have to realize that if you have any type of issues in your gut or any absorption issues, you're going to have issues absorbing and utilizing your fat-soluble vitamins. So what's the status of your gut? Do you have absorption issues? Are you on an extremely low fat diet? Are you taking your supplements with food that contain fat? Again, these are fat soluble vitamins. If you are so low fat, then you're not necessarily absorbing all that you can from even your supplements. It is, is, you know, your, your food sources of vitamin D are namely animal sources. So your fatty fish, are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? So vitamin D3 comes from animal sources more readily and vitamin D2 comes from your plant sources and D2 can be converted to D3, but now we're looking at genetics. Do you have SNPs in the conversion of D2 to D3? Do you have SNPs that in the receptor of vitamin D3? So you're just not even getting enough into that receptor. And so you're one of the people like me who your neurologist kept trying to track your numbers and you went from taking 1,000 IU a day to 20,000 IU a day and your number still wasn't rising. So genetics play a huge role in this. Lab work, I can't, I cannot 
understate the importance of lab work with vitamin D. It is not something that you want to stab in the dark with a number. It's not something that you just need to chase this number because the other thing that is commonly overlooked is the fact that there are two different types of vitamin D. You have your 25-OH, your hydroxy vitamin D, and that is your most commonly tested lab work. So if you have vitamin D deficiency, it means your 25-OH, your hydroxy vitamin D is low. The other form of vitamin D that is actually the more active hormone in the body is the dihydroxy form of vitamin D, and that is your 125-OH. And there's a lot of conflict between who you talk to in the, in the medicine world, whether this number is helpful or hurtful or if it's even important. And my honest opinion is you need to have both of those numbers because the other thing that you have to be looking at is, so if you have a low 25-OH, you know, you've been diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency or your numbers aren't sufficient enough. My question is, what does that dihydroxy look like? Vitamin D, we know, helps with inflammation. It's a powerful antioxidant, but there are also, there's an inflammatory process in the body that if your 25 is low, the inflammation, it means your dihydroxy, so your 125 is already too high. So what happens when you supplement if you already have too much of the active form of vitamin D? A couple of things can happen. You can increase your inflammation, instead of decrease the inflammation. So if, you're 20, if your OH, your dihydroxy, your 25-OH is low, and you flood the gaze, you're just sieging this receptor, if it's a SNP issue, so you have a genetic polymorphism, let's say we're gonna just flood this receptor, and we just keep flooding it and sieging it, and all of a sudden, you know, you have an adequate amount of the 25-OH, your hydroxy, I wanna know what happened to that dihydroxy. So is, is chronic inflammation a cause or a consequence of vitamin D deficiency. It goes both ways. And that's why lab work is so important and vital in this instance. You want to know what is happening on all of the different aspects. You want to know if you are upregulating, because if you are upregulating, then let's look at your gut. There is bacterial etiology that says that this inflammatory process where you're just, your hydroxy is just over converting to the dihydroxy that's an inflammatory process that is of bacterial etiology. So that's in your gut. That's going back to, are there pathogens? Is there a gut infection? Do you have that dysbiosis where the bacteria are going crazy and too much of the wrong kind? Do you have something else going on in the gut? And oftentimes, if we see the pathogen in the gut and everything, you know, your permeability, all of this, if we see this reverse, we reverse those symptoms, we take care of the gut, we see that dysregulation of the vitamin D and the dihydroxy disappear. Yeah, so then that goes back to what is your vitamin D status? What is your vitamin D status without all these factors? And then it goes to what are your SNPs and what SNPs are expressing where? Do you have a SNP that has an issue converting vitamin D in the liver? Do you have a SNP that, you know, has an issue with converting it to the act like to the active form? There's there's a lot of different factors and it all works in concert. So if you start pulling on one of the strings, you're pulling something else out of balance. So I cannot stress enough that no one size fits all with vitamin D supplementation. It is, this is lab work driven. This is biochemically driven, dependent on you. And there are so many factors at play. It's, it's important to keep them all in balance. So taking this information that you're giving me, I go to my doctor, he does the lab work. He tells me if I'm too high, if I'm too low, if I need vitamin D, if I'm all good to go. 
let's say he tells me, okay, you need to be supplemented. Do I run out to Walmart? Do I have him prescribe a particular vitamin D that's a certain grade? Because I know what I'm going to do. I'm running to Walmart or Target and I'm going to get all the little things that I need. Are those things going to be at Walmart or Target or just your typical pharmacy? When it comes back to supplements, it's also important to remember that not all supplements are created equal. One's a different supplement. So if it is just an absorption issue, if it's a dietary issue, if it's a gut issue, then there are certain forms of supplements that are more bioavailable, which means they're more readily absorbed than other types of supplements. Also, there are different grade levels of supplements from, you know, stuff that costs you a ton of money that's high, you know, pharmaceutical grade to the stuff that you're going to find over the counter in the stores that you were talking about. And the type of supplement you need also depends on how that's working. So if you have a gut infection and these pathogens in your gut, if you think you have, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth known as SIBO or anything wrong with your gut, you're going to want something that is more like liposomal. And so that means it's like liquid and the vitamin D is already emulsified in fat. So that means if you're not taking it with fat, it, fat is in your supplement, it's in it, it's more bioavailable and the liquid form is most readily absorbed. You don't always need that. Again, that's going to be a person to person recommendation based on a lot of different factors and what I can see in the diet and the habits and the lab work and the gut and you know, you name it, genetics. So there is no, again, don't chase a number, not... Well, we all do. I mean, we do whatever the doctor tells us to do. We look to them for guidance with this. We run out to the store, we grab however many IU a day, and we think we're good to go. But it sounds to me like it wouldn't matter if you were doing exactly what you were told. Just taking the vitamin D, once again, it goes back to looking at the big picture, the individual big picture of that person, because... No matter what I'm taking, if something else is off or off balance in my gut, all of that vitamin D I'm taking may be doing nothing for me. In in fact, it might be hindering my objectives. Am I correct? Yes, it, it's it's a it's a game of synergy. Um, so even if you take vitamin D, that works synergistically, like we just discussed. It's going to work really synergistically with calcium and K2, but it also works with magnesium and phosphorus and you start taking an overload of one thing and you don't supplement the others, you're causing an imbalance. All of these things work in concert of each other and they're all very important factors. So it's one of those things that it's, again, no one size fits all for supplementation for vitamin D, even though we're all like, we know it's connected to MS, we know it's connected to autoimmune disease, but there's so many different ways that it could be either contributing to your inflammatory disease process or ways to supplement and figure out if we can, you know, hone in on the powerful antioxidant and, you know, immune system calming properties of vitamin D. You can go either way. So it's, it's a teeter-totter and that comes back to biochemical individuality and it looks at your genetics. So, you know, what genetics are playing a role, what receptors might be hindered and then we go from there, but it's definitely not something you just, you should just blindly supplement or chase a number to try to get your hydroxy to be within range. That's not exactly how it works. Well, here's a question for you, and I'm going to lay it out on the table. I take absolutely zero vitamin D supplementation, none. And I take no other supplements at all. As you know, I had HSCT, and in my mind, after HSCT, 
I wanted to allow my body, yes, it's been six years, I'm still adjusting. I wanted to allow my body to naturally balance itself, to get back to a clean slate. Because I did the same thing, taking multivitamins and B12 and all of this kind of, just kind of blindly, you know, you read an article somewhere and, oh, I should be taking that. So I run out, I get the B12, I'm like, no miracles there. You know, I took the vitamin D and calcium, no miracles there, not knowing all about all the other factors that go into place. But for anybody else who's sitting out there, whether they're taking any other supplements or not, if they're if they have MS and they're not taking vitamin D, what if I don't need vitamin D? Do I absolutely 100% need it because I have an autoimmune disease? Yes. All right. So I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. Again, this goes back to that gut connection. So if you have, I mean, look at the vitamin D deficiency. Are you getting enough in your diet? But again, ingestion isn't the same as, you know, digestion, the same as absorption. And are you, you know, are you low fat? Are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? You know, how do you have enough enzymes? So even if you are eating the protein in the fit, are you breaking it down? Vitamin D plays such a crucial role and it is such a common deficiency. And there's so many factors. Again, let's look at that mucosal integrity in your gut. Let's look at, do you even get enough sunlight? Let's go back to the base right. sit outside or are you really busy and you're inside and you're to and from work? So there's, you know, that's a factor. Let's look, there's so many factors that can go wrong with vitamin D absorption and it has such a vital role in the immune system and in inflammation and the gut and the bones that nine out of 10 times, you do need to be taking the supplement, but you need to be taking it in a way that's balancing out with the other supplements and with what else is going on in the body. So if I were a patient of yours and I said, you know, I, th I think I need some vitamin D, you'd be like, no, no, no. Let's start from scratch here. Let's find out what's really going on with you and build up from there. Let's see exactly what you would need and how much you need based on everything. Yes. All right. Yeah. It's like symptomology, again, isn't necessarily the same thing as, so, you know, you were like, I'm taking calcium and, and D and I'm not getting anywhere with it. But do you know that? Like, that's not necessarily something that is, that you're going to feel. With right. Muscular necrosis, you don't know that until, oh, look, you need a hip replacement. That's you might be catching on to things a little bit too late. There have been studies now that show, so with mice, they, the, they have an odd, they are given MS essentially. It's not called the same thing. It's called a EAE, autoimmune encephalitis. So in mice that were given a whole bunch of steroids, they were testing out this theory of, of what does vitamin D need and, and can we prevent osteonecrosis, which is another word for a vascular necrosis, bone death. And they dosed all of these mice with steroids. They had another group of mice that got K2, specifically a form of K2, K27. And the mice that received K27 did not get AVN. The mice that did not did. So there are more factors. And even though it might not be something that you're taking a supplement and you're getting nowhere with it, Unless you're looking at a biochemical level in the body and looking at that balance and that synergy with everything else and all these other factors, that's not a fair statement either. Well, I cannot thank you enough for that explanation. Think about it. And all the groups that I know you belong to, that I belong to, that all of us out there belong to all these MS groups and MS diet groups, vitamin D is like at the top of the list 
but but why? And now we know why. So thank God we went over that. We got our listeners. I hope you loved it. <laughs> I did. This is a, a topic of, of passion for mine. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it definitely made all the difference in in my realm. Sadly, after the fact of ABN, but this is something I definitely do it an even deeper dive in my course with because it's information that you know vitamin D is connected to your health and it's information of how to look at all of the puzzle pieces all at once and try to balance this. So Anna, what services do you offer? When you, you offer testing and consulting and what exactly, like what's the whole scope of what you're offering? Overall, what I'd like to and I like to tell people is that I, thanks to my split perspective, I tell people I have the perspective of a practitioner, but the heart of a patient. So my experience is not only through education, it's not only in the books. I mean, I do have a nerd level fascination with nutritional biochemistry, but it's also because I've lived a lot of this that I can put a whole bunch of these little puzzle pieces together. And I think that's the value with my services is I can dive right down into the trenches with you and help you uncover a lot of these little different puzzle pieces that are playing a role in, in your condition and it's driving your condition, whether you realize it or not. And again, it's not a cure-all. I certainly can't cure MS, but I can help you tie together all of these different factors that are perpetuating your condition. And I, the more that we can fix, the more that we can balance, the better you're going to be, the better you're going to feel, the less damage you're going to accrue behind the scenes. We can target this to support your body's biochemistry so you can function at the best level that you can. Now, I know that you're going to be offering or you are offering courses. Tell me what these courses are, because I can't imagine that you aren't going to have people interested in these courses. Because it's the real deal. It's like tr real, true guidance. I thought that's the goal. Um, the courses, I have currently two different ones. I'm sure there's going to be more to come. But to start with, I just felt like I had so much to say and I had so much information just rattling around my head and that I really wanted everybody else to, to be able to, to see and to be able to make an aha moment to their own health and make that parallel connection and just, you know, widen their perspective. And this was actually inspired by all of the questions you sent me, all of the MS patients on from the MS gym for this podcast. The course, I have two of them. One is just like your MS in general. So it's going to go through a lot of these topics. You know, we're going to look at the GI. We're going to look at vitamin D and the truth behind vitamin D supplementation. We're going to look at like insomnia MS. We're going to talk about the arguments of different diets in MS. And it's going to give you some actionable information and some other resources to see what you would like to do and how the best fits with you. And the other course is HSCT related. For all of my post-HSCT vets, this is the one I'm really excited about. But it's just supposed to be these supposed to be valuable information. So with whatever you're doing, wherever you are in your own disease state and whatever diet you're following, it's a little bit more tips and tricks for a broader picture of things that you can be doing that will empower you to direct your own health. Well, I know that's a hot topic because everybody wants to know what they're supposed to be eating or not eating post-transplant. So that should be incredibly popular. And I think we should mention that we're going to be doing a bonus episode on uh, diet and post-HSCT diet. So I'm looking forward to that with you. I think it's going to be a really good one. 
there are people just craving information on what they should be doing post-transplant. And I think coming from you, who has had transplant, who has MS, and is a dietitian on top of it, I think they're going to get some very valuable information with that. So Anna, what's the biggest reason why MS and diet should be individualized? Depending on a person's individual genetics, I think makes a very big difference. So not only, I mean, genetics, environment, symptoms, past medical history, there are so many different reasons why different diets can help and why there are so many different diets out there and it works for somebody and doesn't work for somebody else or you feel symptomatically improved, but your disease has progressed. And so when I'm looking at driving force behind individualizing diets, I'm looking at what is called epigenetics and genomics. And epigenetics, simply put, is the study of the biological mechanisms that turn your genes on and off. So many times we think, oh, it's genetic, I can't change it. But epigenetics actually studies that how, with what you eat and your lifestyle and environmental factors, your genes switch on and off. The expression turns on and off and that gives power. And nutrigenomics is coming on the field because what that does is it studies how foods, so how foods interact with your genes. So let's say, you know, you have a genetic variation, which we call single nucleotide polymorphisms. And let's say you have it on a gene, which is really common right now, MTHFR. And it's an important gene. It also helps with your neurotransmitter balance, which we've talked how important that is. And so if you already, if you have a SNP on MTHFR, that means you have a genetic vulnerability. It doesn't mean that this gene is not fully functioning, but it means likely when your body is out of balance and it's overstressed and you've got so much going on and you've got inflammation, this is a weak spot. So what we can do through nutrigenomics is by knowing, knowing these SNPs, we can support that. And in the case of MTHFR, it would be giving your body methyl donors. So it would change the type of supplements you would be getting to just support this gene expression. And this is so individualized for so many people, but knowing what can affect your genetic expression and knowing where you're the most vulnerable makes the biggest difference in your body functioning optimally, even vitamin supplementation. So I wouldn't even say that everybody can supplement with all the vitamins and you would, you would say that vitamins are healthy. And my example would be like vitamin E. So yes, vitamin E is a strong antioxidant. It's highly anti-inflammatory and it's been linked as, you know, affecting, um, you know, being very anti-inflammatory and linking in, you know, heart disease and all these other things, but cardiovascular disease, but the biggest study that you can find, which is kind of like an aha moment, is alpha tocopherol. It's vitamin E supplementation can be dangerous for certain genotypes. And a genotype is the expression of that SNP. So let's say, you know, it can be like homozygous, which is like double G. So you have a GG form of the SNP, or you have heterozygous, which is an AG, or you have, you know, a different homozygous. It can be dominant or recessive, and that's like an AA. And for the GG genotype in particular for the alpha tocopherol, it can result in larger increases of cytokine production, which is very inflammatory, not anti-inflammatory. So knowing how your body functions at a genetic and a biochemical level very much can steer treatment interventions. 
Interesting. So all those people out there popping vitamin E's, better think twice. You need Anna to test you. That that's another test as well. I mean, we can look at somebody's genetics and just and see. You know, do you? It even goes back to food allergies. Do you have you know genetic SNPs that make you more susceptible to gluten? Do you have genetic SNPs that are going to make you more susceptible for a thyroid condition? Do you have genetic SNPs in methylation and detoxification? That means so when you go get your MRIs and you had gadolinium contrast, do you right? You know on top of your gut condition, are you naturally going to be more susceptible to retain that heavy metal? Because there are SNPs in methylation, MTHFR is one of them. And one of the most important processes in your body is detoxification. So it's I mean, more than 100,000 chemicals are in foods and drugs and products and you walk outside and there's just so many factors now in today's society that your body needs to be able to detox all of these assaults. And if you are overstressed and you have a lot of inflammation, oxidative stress, your body is, is struggling to keep up with detox. It's, it's overwhelmed. Methylation is a pathway of detoxification that helps you. It plays a crucial role in the processing of like your amino acids and other, other um, pathways. And it's, the most important in gene expression. So that goes back to, you know, turning gene expression on and off and what we can do to make sure that your body stands the best chance and all of these attacks and it can run with it and it can do the best that it can. So you keeping heavy metal in your system is going to be another one of those factors that we want to look at and we want to address and see, do we need to support detox to get this out of your system? Metal, and Hashimoto's has been linked. So if you have high levels of mercury, then and you didn't detox, then a lot of the times it likes to sit in your thyroid and we see Hashimoto's pop up. So it's a tool to look at and let's see your genetics. Let's see how your body's detoxing. Let's see how it's running through methylation and let's support it and see what happens. So Anna, you've talked a lot about testing and how so much of this, the individualization of of whatever diet that someone chooses starts with proper testing of their microbiome. Where can someone get that kind of testing? I know you are going to be offering that kind of testing or you do offer that kind of testing. What is it? If somebody says, okay, Anna, I want the XYZ, what should they be asking for, looking for? And I'm supposing all this will be on your website. Yes. Um, honestly, I know a lot of people, especially me included, when we're running self-experiments on an autoimmune condition, you want to go get a test, but it'll save you money and it'll be better, be a better value and more directed to you if you go through a process with a practitioner. So a lot of the functional medicine practitioners, MDs, you know, advanced nurse practitioners, or even like myself, an integrative and functional dietitian, we do a very extensive intake process. So we want to know everything. We want to know your entire life history and the entire timeline. So we connect all these little dots. And then based on your symptoms, we choose what testing needs to come first and which is going to make the biggest difference of their time. Since it would cost you a lot of money to get all of this tested all at once. So we help break it up and walk you through it. At, you know, like we said before, fatty acid profile. We're going to look at your microbiome. We can look at your neurotransmitter. Um, balance. We can look at your body's actual biochemistry, your citric acid cycle process. Um, we can look at 
your protein status. We can look at your body's ability to assimilate and absorb nutrients. There, I mean, it's, it's endless. We can, there are so many things that we can look at. We can look at your genetics to see where, where you're the most vulnerable and try to support it there. We can, we can even do tests that are going to show if you have heavy, heavy metal toxicity, is that still playing a role? But it's very individualized to what you're presenting with, to what lab work is, is telling us. So you get the testing done, and then you can provide that particular person with actionable steps to correct whatever is off balance. Yes. Very cool. Like, what, what's the typical turnaround time for these tests? To some, and, and how do they receive this testing? I mean, you're in South Florida, correct? Or in Florida. Yes. Let's say I'm in California. How do we do that? Oh, that's, that's the benefit of telehealth and that's telemedicine. Now it's, um, most of my clients are not in person. It's via a video chat and there's certain, um, testing that we can still do across state lines. It's, it's a little bit trickier with people out of the country, but it's still possible. But how would someone receive, like, let's say it's me, I'm in Pennsylvania. What do I do? Where do I get this testing done? And how do I get it to you to review do I just go to a lab? Do you give me an order? I go to a lab and a lab sends the results to you. The easiest way is if you already have a practitioner, a medical practitioner, and then I can hop alongside them and work with them. There are ways that I can do this on my own as well, but um, dietitians are not usually covered by insurance for lab work. So it's a little bit more pricey that way. There's other ways like direct labs where you can order testing through that as well any of the testing kits for like your biochem or the amino acid or the fatty acid or a nutrient assimilation or microbiome test, those can be drop shipped directly to you. So directions on how to do that would also be on your website. Correct. Cool. I'm so excited about everything that you're working on. I'm excited about all of these topics that we discussed. I definitely feel like I need to change my diet Pizza is off the list for tonight. I'm feeling like I've been really, really bad for a really long time. But um, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really excited. I'm excited for all the things that you're going to be able to help people with. Um, and can you tell me where people can find you? What's the name of your website? The name of my website and my business is called Restorative Nutrition. And so it's restorativenutrition.com. I will... I also have a Facebook page and for anybody that has worked with me or has purchased one of the resource guides, you will be added to a private member forum on Facebook as well for some more community support. And when you say resource guides, what are those? I offer these courses. I just, I felt like I had so much to say that um, regardless of whether you can afford testing and you can afford these bigger interventions, I wanted everybody to have this information and at least be aware and start tying all of these different puzzle pieces together for their own health picture. And so what I did is I have made two courses eventually, I'm sure it will grow, but right now I have a, a course right now that's just general for MS and it's go at your own pace. I mean, you can probably access all the modules the same day, but it's essentially a module a week. And what it has is a lot of the information about the physiology, why it's relevant, how it's going to impact you. And it gives you some actionable steps and some more resources. And these topics are the same topics that we somewhat covered here, but way more in depth. So we're looking at for the basic MS thing, we're looking at insomnia MS, we're looking at 
you know, diets and MS, what's the hype? What's the difference between the diets? What should you be considering? You're regular, let's reduce inflammation. We're going to look at what you can do to be, you know, repairing some of that microbiome damage and increasing the, the diversity. We're going to be looking at vitamin D and a lot of the other in-depth factors that go behind vitamin D supplementation that are often overlooked. We're going to be looking at heavy metals. So detox and methylation, and we're going to be looking at genetics and what you can do to start addressing some of the self stuff on your own. Again, the courses are not as individualized, but it still gives you a lot of actionable information that will still enhance your health. And my second course is for my post HSCT vets, because we come out of that transplant kind of not knowing what's up or down. And yes, like we've been fried. Yes, and it, it will help anybody who's going through that process, and it will help guide the steps of what comes first, because honestly, I think post-HSCT, that is the exact time when you need to be just taking the reins and running with it, because you can steer your health and you can steer your recovery, even though you're at high risk for some consequences if something goes wrong. I think that is the best time to get in there and start changing the layout of, of your overall health, even at a genetic Great. It's like the slate has been wiped clean. So now's the time your body's not attacking you. So dive in and take control. You're getting this perfect opportunity that you likely wouldn't get under any other circumstances to uh, start over. And I think it's important that we mention we are going to have a bonus episode that covers diet post HSCT. So that will be coming up as well. I'm actually really excited about that because I know it's a very hot topic in the HSCT world. Well, I'm so very excited for, for the HSCT as well. Well, Anna, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you so much for both parts of this series and the upcoming third part, which is the HSCT. People can find you at restorativenutrition.com, correct? Yes. And um, I might just take a look at that. Is there anything else that you would like to say to our listeners who are out there and who are probably now their jaws are on the floor saying, oh my gosh, I, but I was, I wanted to do this diet. I wanted to do that diet. I was all ready to buy that book. What do you have to say to them? Parting words. My, my parting words are going to be this. The, the pathogenesis of MS is very complex and is very multifactorial. And so you're looking at a whole list of things. You're looking at genetics, epigenetics, immunological components. You're looking at stress, oxidative stress, microbiome. You're looking at so many other factors that can play a role in perpetuating this disease. But instead of looking at this list and being overwhelmed and trying to understand everything that has gone wrong or what can go wrong in a condition like MS, I want to challenge you and empower you to change your perspective and start to notice just how many aspects of this list that you have the power to influence and direct your health. My goal is to come alongside you and in the name of my business, Restorative Nutrition, to help restore both health and hope. Awesome. Anna, thank you so, so much. You, you are a, a, a spitfire. I love it. I love it. I love your enthusiasm. I love your knowledge. Um, I cannot wait to see what you do in the future. It's going to be incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like to know more about the MS Gym, you can find them at www.themsgym.com on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. 
If you'd like to know more about what I've been up to, you can catch me at www.brookslick.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next episode.